Hello, everybody, and welcome inside the What You Need to Know podcast. I am Tyson Ewing, the play-by-play voice of Utah women's basketball, and joined by my radio analyst, Miley Enger. This is the What You Need to Know podcast that focuses on all things University of Utah women's basketball. We'll take an in-depth look at what's going on in the program. All right, so... Here we sit now. The Utah Utes have just completed their regular season. They finished with the first winning record in Pac-12 play since joining the conference. And now they move on to the Pac-12 tournament, which, like we talked about at the end of the last podcast, we looked at that bracket, Miley, and we thought, hey, this is going to be a good opportunity for Utah to make some noise because of what they did in the regular season and who was ahead of them entering into that tournament. When we look at the bracket... Utah was matched up in the first round against Cal, who they had just beaten. Second, Washington State had a first-round bye, so if the Utes won the first game, they were going to match up with Washington State, who they beat pretty well when Washington State came to play at the University of Utah. So you look at those two games, good possibility to make it into that semifinal, then kind of play it out to see what happens. But I remember talking to you while we were down in Vegas about the first game, and both of us thought that the Cal game would be tougher yeah. than the Washington State game potentially. Yeah, for sure. That was that was one matchup I was actually really concerned about. If you remember earlier on in the year when they went to Cal, they fell behind 11 to nothing. We, we talked about this on the last episode, but they fell behind early. They, I mean, it took some terrific play by Gianna Neepkins down the stretch for Utah to pull that win out, um, and they did just that. But the one concern I had was one who didn't play very well when we were in Berkeley, and that was Jada Curry, who you know we hadn't quite seen her full potential yet. And going into a tournament setting, I was a little bit nervous about going into that tournament just because we hadn't quite seen what she could do. Plus, Miley, that was right in the midst of the beginning of what was going to turn into a huge storyline in that first matchup between Jada Curry and Gianna Neepkins because Jada Curry had just lost out on the coach's decision on the freshman of the year, whereas Gianna Neepkins was named Pac-12 freshman of the year. On the flip side, the media picked... Jada Curry as the freshman of the year, and Gianna Neepkins was not picked as the Pac-12 media freshman of the year. So there was kind of an ongoing debate about who deserved the Pac-12 freshman of the year award, considering that Jada Curry was the leading scorer in the Pac-12 conference, and up to that point, a freshman had never led the conference in scoring. Well, the coaches had other plans, and Gianna Neepkins became Pac-12 freshman of the year, and so that became a quick storyline right out of the gates as we prepared for this Utah versus Cal matchup in the first round. You talk about Jada leading the Cal Bears in scoring and also the conference, but on the flip side, when you talk about Gianna and how deserving she was to get the coaches award, she helped flip this U program around. Utah finished eight and seven in Pac-12 conference as Cal only finished one and 10. So you look at the two different sides, there's reasons to pick each player, but what Gianna did for Utah allowed her to get the coaches award and also that place on the coaches all Pac-12 team. Now we were a little bit concerned, kind of going to a personal story here, you and I were just a little bit concerned with the time that these games started. Utah had placed themselves in the 6-11 matchup, which put them at the 8-30 slot Las Vegas time. And if they were to continue winning, they would keep playing from 8-30, 8-30, 8.30, and then play in the championship game if they made it that far. Again, personal story here. You and I had an opportunity earlier on in the year to where we were offered to broadcast 
the Utah State High School Activities Association championship game for girls basketball, the 5A and 6A girls basketball championships. When we looked at that schedule, we thought, yeah, we should be able to make it knowing that there was going to be that one-day gap, that one-day break. That was honestly perfect by the Pac-12 because they just put that into effect two years ago. So for just the second time, they were going to have that one-day gap between when they played the semifinals to when the championship game was going to be played. So that at least allowed us the opportunity to, if Utah was to make it that far, that we'd have that one-day gap to where we could get up to Provo. Well, it was 8.30, right? So that was our kind of personal challenge. We're thinking, okay, can they make it that far? And if they do, are we going to be in a little bit of trouble come that Saturday morning when we have to be back up in Provo from Vegas? We will cross that bridge when we get to it because it is an epic story about how we were able to broadcast those two games up in Provo and then make it back for that championship game. But we're not going to jump into that yet because we want to kind of follow that timeline. So we'll start with the game back on March the 2nd when Utah took on the Cal Bears in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. Although the storyline was about the freshmen in Jada and Gianna, it was another freshman for the Utes that came out and gave them some offensive power early in the game. Jenna Johnson scored eight of the Utes' first 10 points and then finished the first half with 12 points. So when we look at that, the freshman of the year battle, Jenna kind of inserted herself in how she played at the beginning of the Cal game was what we were accustomed to earlier in the season and earlier in the conference. Now, if you remember Jenna, we talked about this in the last episode. Jenna had kind of drifted a little bit when the season started. Uh, she had a good game against Stanford. And if I remember, only averaged over her next seven games four points per game. She then went down with an injury. She returned against the UCLA Bruins. And that was the start of what was a, just a terrific stretch for Jenna Johnson. And her boost, her energy was exactly what Utah needed. I remember prior to this game, I did an interview with the guys from Sirius XM Pac-12 Radio. They actually asked me about the freshman battle. And with Utah being so young, was I concerned at all how they would come out in a must-win situation with a bunch of young players if I was concerned? And I remember saying, no, not really, because these group of freshmen have been playing at high levels the entire year. And so to see that boost from Jenna Johnson right out of the gates was no surprise to me. Seeing what she had done over her final three games of the regular season against UCLA, Oregon State, and Oregon, it really was no surprise to me that she was able to continue um, what she was doing, like you said, finished with 12 points in the first half. Utah at the end of the first half led by six, 31-25, but it was a third quarter performance by the Bears that put them up by one going into the fourth quarter. Utah led by 10 points roughly at the 7.30 mark in the quarter. Cal closed the third quarter on a 19-8 run led by Delea Daniels and Jada Curry in a quarter which they shot 50%. Now, I just remember being a little bit nervous at this point. Utah you know, had had such a great season. You're thinking, oh, man, it would be a little bit disappointing if they get eliminated here in this first round. That third quarter performance was a little disconcerting just because you thought their defense had finally picked up. Cal, every time they went down the floor, especially in the final five minutes of that third quarter, they would score every single time. Utah's defense was just kind of absent because that 19-8 to run you were talking about happened in about a seven-minute span. I just remember thinking, oh, man, Utah's going to have to come up with something special here. 
Even though we saw Gianna start to be extremely comfortable on the offensive end at this point, she finished the third quarter with 10 points alone. She was basically the only one doing much of anything on the offensive end for Utah in this third quarter. And defensively, it was a little bit concerning because, as you mentioned, Utah led by 10 with about seven and a half minutes to go before Cal closed that quarter on a 19-8 run. And Utah's defense just was, just was absent. It felt as though every time down the floor, Cal was scoring at will. And to this point in the game, you just thought, hey, maybe Sharman Smith has found a weakness in this Utah defense, and she was going to try to exploit that throughout the rest of the second half. But Coach Roberts, she had a different game plan, and we saw that come to fruition in that second half where Utah was able to create some space and get the job done in that fourth quarter. Just going back to this third quarter, though, you talk about Utah only scored 13 points. Gianna scored 10 of those. So Utah needed some people to step up and try and help her. So I was kind of getting flashbacks of the first and only time that Utah played Cal earlier in the season because we had a great second quarter when we played at Cal. And then it was that third quarter again where things started to get close. Then it remained close the rest of the game. So going into this fourth quarter in the tournament, Utah was down by one and needed to find an answer from somewhere to get a little bit of a lead. And it kind of went back and forth throughout the first part of that fourth quarter. The game was tied at 56 with 3.33 remaining. When Utah decided to go into Jenna Johnson, she scored six straight points for the Utes and put them on a mini 6-0 run with 145 remaining. They led by six. Jada Curry on consecutive possessions for Cal knocked down four free throws to cut the lead to two before the freshman Gianna Neepkins knocked down a big jumper with under a minute to play to put Utah up by four. You know what, Miley? Let's go ahead and flash back to that moment where Gianna Neepkins knocked down the huge jumper to put Utah up by four with just about 30 seconds remaining in the ballgame. Kicks to the corner to Gianna. Pump fakes the three. Moves to her right. Beautiful drive as she splits past two different defenders. Lays it home for two. And Gianna with 20 puts the Utes on top by four. Utah would then have to come away with a defensive stance, which they did. Jada Curry missed a layup, which is 22 seconds remaining as Kennedy McQueen ripped down the rebound. And the game was basically in the bag for Utah at that point. Utah has gotten the victory, and they will advance to take on the Washington State Cougars tomorrow night. So there it is. Utah gets the job done in the first round. They knock off the Cal Bears 66-60, led by the freshman Jenna Johnson and Gianna Neepkins, who combined for 38 of Utah's 66 points. Just, again, another testament to what these young players had been doing for Utah all season long. One of my favorite parts at the end of the game is when we interviewed Coach Peterson, and we brought up the whole freshman of the year matchup and what the media was making it out to be, but he told us that Gianna didn't care. Gianna didn't care what the media was making it out to be. She didn't even care necessarily for the award. She just wanted to get a win for her team. And I know we kind of joke about this, but again, it rings true. You like a player that is efficient from the floor. Gianna Neepkins finished that game going 9 of 13 with 20 points. Most of those points coming in the second half, 16 of which coming in the second half. She was very, very efficient, 9 of 13. Jada Curry was 6 of 18, finished with 16 points, did have 7 rebounds, 3 assists. And going back again to that battle that was Gianna Neepkins versus Jada Curry, I remember you saying that Gianna Neepkins absolutely controlled this battle, and she was a huge reason why Utah was able to get this job done against Cal. 
I think it's an interesting point to bring up the efficiency because during this season, no one on the Utes roster averaged more than 12 shots a game, but yet Gianna was scoring at high rates every single game. So she scores 20 points on 13 shots, but she wasn't the only one. Jenna scored 18 points on 12 shots, and then Kennedy also had 11 points on 10 shots. All right, now we move ahead to the Utes taking on the Washington State Cougars in a 6-3 matchup at the 8.30 time slot yet again. All right, Miley, so this kind of had some nice little feelings of what happened the last time Utah took on Washington State. However, the one difference is this run for Utah started much, much earlier in the game. The score was 14-13 to after Johanna Tedder had knocked down a jumper with 4.43 remaining in the first quarter. And then we saw a mighty, mighty Utah run. We had some nice back-and-forth action between the two teams. But after Tedder's layup, Utah went on a 15-0 run to close the quarter and then never looked back the rest of the game. So it was kind of similar to what we saw here in Salt Lake when Washington State came to play. Utah kind of controlled the whole game. And their 15-0 run to end the quarter was just enough. I mean, it was just what Utah needed. They created the space early, but we did see in that last matchup that Washington State did make a ferocious comeback late in that fourth quarter. And we talked about on that broadcast how Utah could not repeat that. We go to the second quarter. And on Utah's first possession, Peyton McFarland went up for a layup and immediately grabbed her knee. And it was at that point we looked at each other and we knew. Now, I know, Mighty, that you're actually pretty squirmish with injuries. And I remember when that happened, you grabbed my shoulder like, oh, my gosh, that looks painful. And she went down hard, and we knew immediately that it was going to be a pretty significant injury to, uh, to Peyton McFarland. For me personally, I have seen so many knee injuries from teammates while I've played. So that's why I kind of grimace at anyone that falls down, even if they're not injured. But immediately, like you said, we knew this was a big deal. Peyton was not moving. Timeout had to be called. People had to go out on the court to help her off. And so we got worried for the rest of the game there because teams could either come together at this point or they can fold when a teammate gets hurt to the extent that Peyton did. So Kelsey had to come in as now the only center available for Utah because everyone else in the lineup at the center position is injured. And then she basically kind of had to play the rest of the game. And against the Pac-12 most improved player in Bella Murakatete, who, frankly, we were worried about how that matchup was going to go, especially with only having one big. If Kelsey were to get into foul trouble, they would be in deep trouble trying to prevent the interior play. But... Utah did a great job in that second quarter as they outscored the Cougars by four, 16 to 12, which put them ahead by 20 points going into the break, leading 45-25. And again, we were a little bit nervous because we saw a really good comeback in the fourth quarter back earlier on in the year when Washington State visited Utah. And we knew that without that post presence that they were going to have to stay with it. And again, Miley, even though we were concerned, Utah did exactly what they had to do and finished out the Cougars uh, in that second half. I think we were also concerned because the Ledger Walker sisters, especially Charlize, who is usually that high volume shooter and scorer, they were not hitting mm -hmm. anything in that first half. So we thought maybe after halftime, something would be different in that second half. Maybe some shots would start falling, but it was not a great game for them. I'm just gonna go ahead and jump to the end with Charlize's final stats. She played 37 minutes. Usually she plays the entire game, but she just shot two of 12 did not make a three, 0 of five, and finished the game with just six points, which tied 
for the third fewest in her entire career. Jumping to her sister, Crystal, she played 39 minutes and had a similar stat line, shooting 2 of 12, so exact same as Charlize, and then ended the game with 4. So their backcourt duo, who almost plays the entire game, finished 4 of 24. Now obviously that was a huge key to the success for Utah. And once again, we had the chance to visit with associate head coach Gavin Peterson and asked about that defensive game plan. Let's take a listen to what he had to say following that win against Washington State about how they were able to defend those Ledger Walker sisters. For the last few games, we've been kind of really uh, hitting our strides in terms of taking away the first option, second option, making teams maybe go to that third option. And if you can do that in March, uh, you're going to be in ball games. And our kids have really sunk their teeth into that concept of just taking away that first option, make teams go to other options. And, you know, we did that last night with Curry, and we did that tonight with uh, the Ledger Walker sisters who are phenomenal. So Utah gets the job done as they knock off Washington State 70-59 to and move on to take on the Oregon Ducks in the semifinals of the Pac-12 Conference, the first time that Utah had advanced to the semifinals, getting it done in pretty dominant fashion. I've always questioned with tournaments on if a first round bye is actually a good thing because Utah had troubles in their first game against Cal, kind of finding their rhythm in the early going. And then they come and play Washington State. They're used to the depth perception, used to the court that they're playing on, used to the arena. And then they're playing a Washington State team who hasn't played in that venue yet. So it always kind of makes me question on if a bye is actually a good thing because it seemed like Utah was really comfortable in that second game. They really were. I love that you mentioned that because I do remember on our broadcast you talking specifically about the difference of that depth perception. It was pitch black behind those baskets which is something none of these players were used to. And so Utah already kind of having that advantage by playing in that first game. You kind of felt in that first quarter that that was the advantage that Utah took control of as they put 29 points on the board, which, as well, failed to mention this, that 29 points was the most points scored in a quarter in Pac-12 tournament history. So Utah obviously had that advantage and saw it through to the end by getting that victory and moving on to the semifinals for the first time in program history. All right, Miley, so now we sit. Utah's won two games in the Pac-12 tournament, and this is when we looked at each other and said, uh-oh, we're in a little bit of trouble here because Utah's next game was going to be at 8.30 Las Vegas time, 9.30 Mountain time. You and I had to be in Provo by 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. So we kind of had a little bit of a uh-oh moment. This is going to be very interesting on how we're going to be able to make this happen. But again, we'll save that for the end of the Oregon game, kind of going in line with the timeline of events. So Utah then advanced to take on the Oregon Ducks as Oregon had knocked off UCLA the day before. What was it actually? Really, really good battle. Utah was ready for a rematch against the Oregon Ducks. They'd lost two close games to Oregon earlier on in the year. And they were ready to come out and go to work immediately against a team that, frankly, Miley, they wanted sweet revenge on. I think that this team wanted revenge against the Ducks because they had lost two pretty close games against them in the season. But I also think this game was important for the coaching staff because Coach Roberts, up until this point, had not beat Oregon during her tenure at the University of Utah. Well, the Utes looked good right out of the gates as they jumped out on top of Oregon 7-2. to Oregon would have an answer as they then went on a 14-0 run to take a 16-7 lead with 3.50 remaining in the quarter. They would close out that quarter leading 25-14. 
But that run was very concerning because Utah was without their post presence in Peyton McFarland, which if you remember, she actually got hurt the first time these two teams played. And there was a clear disadvantage for Utah in the paint because of Niera Sabali. And it was the interior defense that was causing a problem for Utah in that first quarter. Niera Sabali and Sedona Prince were dominating that first quarter, which gave them an 11-point lead going into that second quarter. Oregon led 25-14, to 14, and that quarter kind of reminded me of the opening quarter. When Oregon came to Salt Lake, they led 18-10, to 10, and they just started in an offensive groove where Sydney Parrish hit three threes in the first quarter, and then they just got a giant lead that Utah could never really recover from. So when you mentioned this run and you mentioned the first quarter that Oregon had, I came a little nervous just to be like, is Utah going to be able to come back from this? They're already down 11, and Oregon seems like they're in a similar group that we've already seen. And we hadn't seen a real comeback by Utah. We saw, a, you know, you think back to the Arizona game. At Arizona, Utah was down big. They played really well in that second half, but didn't quite have enough to come back. And so we hadn't really seen Utah come back from a deficit, frankly, Miley, because there hadn't been a lot of them. So Utah hadn't really needed to come back from a huge deficit. In order to keep on playing, they were going to have to do just that. They went into the half trailing by five after outscoring the Ducks by six in the second quarter. So at least cut that lead in half from the first quarter to the second quarter. And then Utah came out guns a-blazing in that third quarter to really set the stage for what was going to be a big-time win for the Utah program. In that third quarter, Utah shot 9 of 20 while shooting 5 of 12 from behind the arc, but it was at the 8-19 mark when Oregon led the Utes by 5. Over the next four minutes, Utah went on a 17-1 run led by their three-point shooting. It started with Jenna hitting a three, Kennedy followed, Gianna hit one, and then to end the run, Brenna topped it off. Now at that point, the Utes led by 10 points with about 3.15 remaining. Oregon had a mini 5-0 run before Utah knocked down a couple of buckets late to lead by 10 going into that fourth quarter. In that third quarter, we talked about Utah's offense, but it was their defense. Yeah. The whole season it's been Utah's offense, Utah's offense, but we really saw their defense come out in this tournament. In the third quarter, they held Oregon to just 1 of 12 shooting, 8%. Oregon could not find the bottom of the net the entire quarter. So what's interesting about that stat as well, they went 1 of 12 in that third quarter. They started the quarter 1 of 2 before missing their last 10 shots going into that fourth quarter. So as you said, Utah's defense clamped down, and the Utes went into that fourth riding a lot of momentum, knocking down some big threes, and playing some incredible defense. We just had so much confidence in this young team to get the job done. It would be interesting to see how the Utes do finish out the game from this point because they are young and they are inexperienced. They've never been in this semifinal game before. On the other hand, you have an Oregon team who has some older vets. This program is accustomed to being in this position, playing for Pac-12 championships on a constant basis. So when you have players like Niera Sobley or Sedona Prince and a backcourt of Tahina Pow Pow and Endia Rogers, You'd expect them to try and mount a comeback just because they are accustomed to winning and playing for championships. Well, a comeback, Miley, is exactly what happened for the Oregon Ducks as they went on a 21-10 run to start the fourth quarter, led by one with 3.56 remaining. When Utah had to go on a run of their own, they then went on a 9-0 run to take an 8-point lead with 1.37 remaining. 
And that was the run that they needed to close out the Ducks and for the first time in the Lynn Roberts era, knock off the Oregon Ducks and the first time in program history, get themselves into the Pac-12 title game against the defending champion Stanford Cardinal. Going back to now the personal side <laughs> of our story, it was at that 137 mark when Gianna knocked down on free throws and we got up by eight. That I started shaking a little bit while we were calling the game, knowing that after this game, we would immediately have to drive back up to Provo. But then since Utah was going to make an appearance in the championship game, we would then have to drive back down to Vegas immediately after the 5A and 6A Utah State Championship games. Do you remember what I said to you at the airport that Tuesday before we went down to Vegas? Remember that? You said, are you prepared for potentially the craziest week of your life? And when you said that, I thought Utah had a chance to make it into the semifinal game. That would possibly be against Oregon. Because Utah had already lost to Oregon twice during the regular season, I didn't know how great of a chance Utah had to beat Oregon and to make it in that championship game. So I thought the worst thing that could happen to us was that we'd have to drive back to Provo after the semifinal game. I did not imagine us having to make the trip twice. Now, if you remember, I did not have a suit, so I had to rely on our SID, Travis Ray. Shout out, Travis Ray. Had to rely on Travis Ray's suit to get me to, to at least look kind of good for our first on-TV experience. So, borrowed a suit from Travis Ray, jumped in our minivan, and trekked all the way north to Provo, was there by 10 a.m. after we spent about two hours at my brother-in-law's house for a quick nap and breakfast. Shout out Adam and Stephanie. Appreciate you guys giving us a place to sleep and supplying us with some food. Getting to BYU by 10 o'clock a.m., we broadcasted two high school games, one of which, Miley, ended in a buzzer beer, which was really, really cool. But then after that game was over, we had to turn back around in a snowstorm. Let's throw that in there as well. In a snowstorm in northern Utah, turn back around and get back down to Vegas for a 3 o'clock tip time for the Pac-12 championship game. So it was a wild experience, but we made it safely through the snowstorm, through the middle of the night. We did it, Miley. We made it, but the sad thing was was that our checkout times for our hotel rooms was early in the morning, but the game wasn't until 3, so we got booted out of our rooms and then... We went down to the arena way early to prep for this game, which we were running on very minimal sleep for the, from the past couple days. <laughs> it was wild, and I do remember being very tired for that broadcast, but being very excited as this was going to be Utah's first experience in the Pac-12 title game. Now, moving on to that Pac-12 title game against the defending champion Stanford Cardinal, who came in riding so much momentum as they had won 18 straight games against Pac-12 teams in the season and uh, came out guns a-blazing in that first half, led 21-11 to after the first. But, Miley, Utah did put together a great second quarter and only trailed by two points going into the half. In that first half, Stanford star Cameron Brink was in foul trouble, which is what we saw the first time we played him. So she didn't really play that much in the first half, which allowed Utah to kind of come back in that second half. But... The third and fourth quarter, that second half, was a little bit of a different story when all of their players were able to play a majority of the minutes, and they kind of just opened the game up. Now to start the third quarter, Utah kept it tight. 39-36 after a Brenna Maxwell three. Utah trailed by just three points before Miley the wheels started falling off just a little bit. 
After Brenna's three, Utah finished the game shooting four of 26. And a lot of that did come in the fourth quarter when Utah only scored five points. That Stanford defense came on strong and they wanted to win another championship. On the other side, Stanford finished the game shooting 12 of 25. So Stanford put together a complete offensive and defensive second half and really just contained Utah the rest of the game. And Utah would lose in that title game 73-248. And even though it was a little disappointing in the sense that Utah you know, lost by 25 points in the Pac-12 title game, you know, you and I looked at each other at that point. We were exhausted from, you know, from previous events. But we just looked at each other and said, man, I'm so proud of this team for what they were able to accomplish in this tournament. They get their first win against Oregon since Coach Roberts came to town. They get their first appearance in the semifinal game. Then they win that semifinal game and advance to the Pac-12 title game. We looked at each other and we said, wow, what a a great performance by this team. A magical, magical run to even get to where they got to. And really, it just felt as though midway through that third quarter, they just ran out of gas. They finally had gotten to that point. They'd done so much. They'd done everything so well to that point. And midway through that third quarter, you just kind of just see them run on empty in their proverbial gas tank. The storyline that we kind of created through this tournament after they won the Cal game and the Washington State game, we kept mentioning in our broadcast that Utah was, in preseason, projected to finish 10th. So to finish 6th in the conference, the regular season conference, and then to make it into the championship game against a defending national championship team, that's pretty impressive. Nobody had high expectations for this Utah team. They were not good the year before. (laughs) So to have the turnaround that they did, was amazing to see. And the Utes win three games at the Pac-12 tournament, which was far and away the most wins they've had in the Pac-12 tournament. Coach Roberts, up to that point, had only won one game in Pac-12 tournament history. She wins three games in this one tournament. And the Utah Utes make it all the way to the Pac-12 title game before falling to the defending national champion Stanford Cardinal. Now, I will say, shortly after that game was over, they did release the all-tournament team. Utah had two freshmen appear on that all-tournament team, Jenna Neepkins and Jenna Johnson, both making the Pac-12 all-tournament team. So congratulations to those two. After doing incredible things during the regular season, they end up capping it off by being named with the all-tournament team as well. So the Utah Utes now at this point of the season, they had just made a magical run through the Pac-12 tournament, and now the next phase was awaiting their destination for the NCAA tournament. What seed would they get? Because of their play at the Pac-12 tournament, you and I thought, hey, they have a chance of getting an eight or possibly a seven seed going into the NCAA tournament. And that's where we are going to end today's episode. Coming up next week, we will talk about that NCAA tournament, what seed the Utes got, where they went, who they played, and everything entailing the University of Utah's first appearance in the NCAA tournament since 2011. Now, a quick reminder, we will get an episode out to you each and every single Monday morning, so make sure you tune in each and every single episode. Thank you so very much for tuning in. For Miley Enger, I am Tyson Ewing. This is the What's you need to know podcast.